0: This is Investor Creator. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Investor Creator. And today we're going to be talking about how to pick a new market. So guys, as we begin to rise through the hierarchy of the flipping business, we all start up from the same place, which is as a startup. Then we hit the struggle, then we hit success, and finally we get to scale. As we get to scale, we begin to identify new markets. And what we find in success is that the fundamentals are, and conservatism is what drives profit in the business. Whenever we understand that, then we understand that we can pretty much take the model and go to almost any market and create equity positions there. Once we have proven it in our backyard, we understand how to buy, how to negotiate, how to deal structure, then we can then go and implement almost anywhere in the country. But the first thing that I want to submit to you, because this is a question that I'm often asked, is Brad, Should I do this in my local market or should I, because my local market is difficult, should I go and implement this somewhere else first? And the short answer is it depends. But what we want to look at before we make that determination is a few things. First, what I would submit to you is we're always caught between two markets. We're always caught between two markets. It's like, well, Brad, what does that even mean? Well, the first thing is we're caught in a market to buy and a market to sell. And guys, those are inversely related. And so if we're in a really easy market to buy, it's often difficult to sell in that market. And vice versa, if it's difficult to buy in that market, it's often as liquid as cash in that market whenever we go to sell, right? And so let's take two opposite ends of the spectrum. Let's take, say, Flint, Michigan. Okay, I've never been to Flint, Michigan. I've actually never been to Michigan at all. we bought and sold in Michigan, but I've never been there. And we take Flint, Michigan, which I assume has not really solved the water problem that they had, right? So let's assume they haven't solved that. That's what we would call a problematic market. If people can't get drinking water in their market, I can't imagine that's a positive variable for the real estate market, real estate pricing, okay? So let's assume that it's really easy to buy in Flint, Michigan. Well, that means it's going to be pretty darn difficult to sell, okay? Uh, Opposite end of of the spectrum, let's take San Francisco. Really difficult to buy in San Francisco. But once you do, I mean, prices have just been going crazy there the past 10 years, roughly speaking. And so we're in a position where if we have a contract on a great equity position in San Francisco, then that equity position is almost as good as cash because it's really easy to sell in San Francisco. And so that's the first thing that we have to understand is we're in the transaction business. And so we need markets where we can buy and sell in. And so if we're too far on the opposite ends of those spectrums, we can still make it work, but we just have to understand it's going to be more difficult. We're not going to have as many transactions. Okay. And to put it in perspective, we have cash flow markets, which Flint, I'm assuming, would be a cash flow market, not huge equity positions to be grabbed there, very similar to Pittsburgh, where we bought in. But we would buy positions like we buy properties for like 30 grand that would cash flow $1,000 a month, right? So if you're interested in the cash flow business, those would be actually better markets for you where they're somewhat depressed. But then we take it in comparison to, say, Dallas, Texas, where we bought there too. And Dallas, the past five years, has been a really, really strong seller's market. And so we're in markets where we have some markets that are better for big cash pops like Dallas, and then we have some markets that are better for cash flow, which would be Pittsburgh and I'm assuming Flint, Michigan. Does that make sense? So what we have to understand is, first, it really depends on what our goal is. If we want to be a cash flow passive investor, we may want to go to a more depressed market. If we want to create big cash pops, then we may want to go to a market that's more of a seller's market. Does that make sense at all? And so the short answer is it really depends, it depends on your goals, but you can kind of curtail it based on this. Now, one thing I will say, as we begin to really build the business, as we begin to get through the learning curve, it's best that we do it in our own backyard, okay? So whenever I first started in the business, I'm in a a town about 30 miles southeast of Nashville, And so this is where I learned the business for the first, say, three years. And of course, I would do deals kind of outside of that, but I never really went to the city until I was like in year four. And so whenever I started marketing in Nashville proper, I began to know what I didn't know and understand that it's a different game there. Well, if I didn't have the fundamentals already learned and the conservatism already there in the business, so we weren't chasing deals, we weren't making offers, all those kinds of things, we understood how to deal structure at a pretty high level. If I went to Nashville first, it would have destroyed my business because I would have been marketing in a city that I didn't really know. I didn't understand the nuances between this street and that street. Well, whenever you understand negotiation and deal structure at a higher level, it really doesn't matter where the deal is. But we just have to understand that the farther away we get from home, the more conservative we have to be because you're going to have more problems. I mean, that's just the way it is. Okay, so we have to understand what our goal is are we looking for cash flow? Are we looking for big equity positions? If we're looking for both, then we want to be in a market that is kind of in the middle of those, okay? So that being said, whenever we're looking at a new market, here's some things that we want to look for, okay? Number one is population. Guys, if we have population, then we're going to have people that have problems and their house is associated with that problem. So people are going to be going through divorce, They're going to inherit stuff they don't want. They're going to be going through pre-foreclosure. And those are the top three of um, situations that we buy. Okay. So we have to have population. So it's like, well, how big of a population is big enough? Well, again, it depends. So if you're looking to create a multiple seven-figure business, you're probably not going to do that just in a town of 50,000 people. If you're looking to create $100,000 a year, then we can do that in a 50,000 population community. Okay. What would really scare me is if someone came to me and said, okay, Brad, I want to do this in Littleton, Kansas, assuming there is such a place where the population is 300. Guys, we cannot make that work. Okay. If we're in towns of like less than 5,000 people, we're going to have a really, really tough time. And it's not because of anything with the model and what we know, it's strictly that there's not enough opportunity. Does that make sense? So we have to have people that have problems And that is going to be associated with population one-for-one, direct correlation. If you have enough people, there's going to be people with problems. I guarantee you that. The second thing we want to look at is median price. So I personally have no interest in trying to do this in Beverly Hills. Never been to Beverly Hills. I'm assuming that, uh, let's say, median price is $5 bucks. Could we do it there? I don't know. I haven't proven it. So I'm going to say I just don't know, right? But I don't want to try and reinvent things to the extent that it's just not necessary, okay? If I'm in a market of say 150 to 500,000, then I'm pretty comfortable with that above half a million as a median price. It's just not in my wheelhouse, you know. It could be in yours and that's fine. You know, there're certainly people that flip million dollar houses. Uh, I have a good friend of mine that has like 20 new constructions on the ground that are a million dollars a piece. No, that's not my game. But I just want to be in a median price that I'm comfortable with, and you can decide what that means for you. Number 3 is appreciation rate. I definitely want a market that's appreciating. Because as we found the past five years, appreciation saves a lot of bad decisions. So there have been a lot of investors that are not really working conservatively and they're not exactly smart people or smart investors, but they have been riding the appreciation wave in these cities that have just gone bonkers when it comes to pricing. And so appreciation fixes a lot of bad decisions. You can overbuy, you can overborrow, you can overbuild. But if you have a high enough appreciation rate, then all of those things will be just fine long-term. So we want an appreciation rate above 3%. We really prefer above 3%. Of course, if the other factors of this are looking amiable and positive, then we can kind of overlook that. But overall, we prefer to be an appreciating market, but not a super crazy appreciating market. So if, if we were looking at a market that's above 10%, it's like, we have to wonder why that is. Like, is there a supply problem? Are people just moving there all the time. I mean, what's going on to create something like that? Because we know, guys, a 10% appreciation rate is not going to last forever. And so if people are basing their pricing in terms of their purchases on, well, this is going to be worth 10% more next year, so I can pay an extra 10% today. That's stupid. Like We can't do that. We can't make those kinds of decisions because that works. And as things are going up, but as things level, which I'm sure they're going to do with the coronavirus, then what's the whole idea of, what is it? Getting caught with your pants down as the tide goes out sort of thing. So we definitely don't want to do that. Uh, the fourth thing that we really look at is days on market. Days on market. So if we are in a market where uh, the days on market is six, then we know we're going to have a tough time buying because there's going to be more than enough opportunity for a seller to have other options. You know, that they can make other decisions other than us. Conversely, if we are uh, looking at a market and the day zone market is above 120, then that's a market where we understand, especially in today's interest rate environment, that that's a market that that's pretty soft. Like we can go in there and buy very easily and buy with terms and really create owner financing. If I had to choose between the two, I would rather go to a market that's a little bit softer because whenever we buy creatively... We can always sell with owner financing. There's, Guys, there's not a market that I can conceive of happening outside of a World War III scenario that we couldn't sell a house with owner financing. And so we're basically creating our own market. Because, guys, I feel like I'm kind of jumping around a little bit. Whenever we look at this, we're talking about the retail market. We're not talking about owner financing, okay? So the median price is based on retail. The appreciation rate is based on retail. The days on market is based on retail. Guys, all of that is secondary whenever we're looking at the owner finance market. Does that make sense? So we can owner finance houses easier with a higher price and um, with better profit than we can deal with the retail market. So if I'm looking at, okay, would I rather buy in Detroit or would I rather buy in San Francisco or attempt to enter those markets? I'm definitely going to Detroit, okay, because I can take houses that's in a depressed market. Buy them creatively. Buy them cheaper than other people can. Make more profit by taking them to the owner finance market and do it in volume there, right? Because people are always going to need owner financing. Uh, one other thing that we kind of look at is, well, what is the the real estate investor world look like there? So, and we can kind of identify this by two things. Number one, what's the cash buyer rate? So, how many houses are bought with cash per month in that market? And then secondly, if we look at the local RIA, the local real estate investor associations, then that's going to give us a good idea of what activity is going on there. And if we have a big wholesaler community, then I feel pretty confident that we can go in there and dominate in a big way because we can do the deals that the wholesalers can't do. And in fact, we're having multiple markets where the wholesalers are bringing us deals because they don't understand what a deal is, right? So guys, I hope that makes sense. Always keep in mind as you approach a new market that there's going to be a learning curve to that market. But as long as we stay conservative, we stay within the fundamentals of what this business is, which is buying low creatively with terms, keeping your cash out of the deal, and then selling with owner financing, then we're going to have a lot of success by beginning to branch out and beginning to scale. So guys, any questions, let me know. Brad at bradsmotherman.com. We will catch you next time. Happy investing.